0: Take your Bible, join me in 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 16, and uh, while you're turning, just a couple of comments. Number one, whoever made the cake, it's a good one, and you should have some if you haven't. I test drove it, and I can testify sincerely that uh, if I were not teaching, I'd be still eating. Um, and secondly, I'll say this, uh, it was funny, the picture that was up on the screen, the happy birthday uh, at least i it was <laughs> um, you're, you're thinking that 's when you retire that 's when you throttle back and uh, i uh i 'm not thinking sixty five is as old as it used to be, and uh, my, my body doesn't function all the time like I would ask it to, um, but I think that 's just part of the reality of uh too many miles too early. Um, and I'm glad, and I'll say this too, if you're young, just recognize that the mile markers are going to go by faster. Um, and it's not because the accelerator down, not traveling fast, although I've been guilty of that. It's just time goes fast. And before you know it, opportunities are past. So capitalize on the opportunities you have. And uh, this is not a retirement season for me. I love what I do. I was telling uh, one of the elders today in elders' prayer that I couldn't imagine not having the opportunity to hang out with young people at such a strategic season. as the campus patty and serving student life there. Just a joy, and I love it. And uh, I still feel young enough to do it. So I hope I get to do that for a long, long time. The only thing I don't like is the rapid rate of decline here in the great state of California. You know, I don't know how long it's going to be golden. Um, it's a little tarnished, but uh, I hope uh, I hope the Lord gives us grace and an extended time where we can do what we do. Well, we're picking up the path to peace and prosperity. So, three weeks ago, Johnny Ardavanis taught in my stead, and we did Isaiah 26:3. God will keep the man in perfect peace perfect peace, shalom, shalom, whose mind is stayed on thee. So if your mind is fixed on God, the promise that you have the benefit of receiving is peace, peace, which is an emphatic way of saying an abundant, perfect, high-quality peace. And the word is shalom. And if you've been around the Bible very long, you've probably come to understand shalom is richer than the absence of disturbance. No turbulence. It's the absence of disturbance united with the presence of abundance. So it's not just I don't have turbulent air around me. I'm enjoying abundant life. Jesus said, I come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. The path to peace begins with a fixed focus and a reliable, consistent, convicted, by, in my heart, trust in God and the pursuit of God. Then I took you last week to kind of follow up. I added the path to peace and prosperity. And we're in Second Chronicles because you have an example and a path. You have a statement of a bit to a king who had been doing well and at the end of his life, he had faded and he needed to hear a calibrating, sobering correction from the man of God to the king leading the people of God because he was forfeiting the abundance of God. What could have happened, this is the message, didn't because you've been foolish. What I, God, was willing to do for you You're not going to enjoy. And that's both sobering and sad and unnecessary. And the heart of the foundation of our lesson, the path to peace and prosperity, is found in chapter 16 and verse 9 with the words of the prophet. He's really reminding him of a truth that he behaved consistent with early in his leadership ministry. Asa, his name means healer. He's the third king of Judah, It's Rehoboam, Abijah, and then Asa. Rehoboam did evil in the sight of the Lord because he did not set his heart to seek the Lord. Abijah behaved just like his father. He reigned three years, Rehoboam reigned 17. This is the grandson of Rehoboam. The kingdom has been divided, Judah and Benjamin, the southern kingdom. Abijah, Rehoboam became their king. The northern tribes went under the uh, idolatrous leadership of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. They set up a worship space, uh, not in Jerusalem, a priesthood not of the people of God, the Levites. Um, He wanted his own worship space, and he defected. And we're going to hear about defection again this morning with Pastor John. And uh, Asa comes to the throne after a lot of turbulence and a lot of idolatry, and the healer brings healing to the people of God. Matter of fact, before we read verse 9, let's just reconnect you to the context of this. Verse 1, chapter 14. We'll come back to 16. We're not far away. So he slept with his father's son of Rehoboam. And they buried him in the city of David. That's Jerusalem. And his son, Asa, healer, became king in his place. Now, here's a key statement, and it was one of the foundational uh, observations we tagged in in our discussion last week. The land was undisturbed for 10 years, and the way Rehoboam's reign finishes is to say there, has, there was war constantly. So this 10-year run was unusual and unique, special. And it's to be noted. And Asa, the reason for the undisturbed, and you could call the absence of disturbance or turbulence, the reason, verse 2, and Asa did good and right in the sight of the Lord his God. Verse 3, for he removed the foreign altars and high places. He tore down the sacred pillars Out. He tore them down and cut down the asherim. Those were the specific idol um, of the god of fertility, idols of the god of... disturbed at peace. And he built fortified cities in Judah since the land was undisturbed. Third time you've heard that. Must be important. And there was no one at war with him. So it's going to emphasize what undisturbed means... No one at war with him during those years. Now watch the end of 6, because the Lord, Yahweh, had given him rest. Peace is the product of what God does. And it's more than the absence of war. It's the presence of abundance. It's prosperity, which is why you have he built the cities. He built the walls, verse 7. Let us build these cities, surround them with walls and towers and gates and bars. The land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought him, and he has given us, watch this, rest on every side. End of verse 7. All right, so the takeaways are really simple. Undisturbed living, peace-filled living, absence of turbulence living. And the presence of abundance, prosperity, building, growing, enjoying is the product of God seeking. We sought God, He blessed us. We sought God, and He blessed us. Now, back to chapter 16 and the punctuating reality of how it works with God. Verse 9, this is the prophet to Asa who had stopped seeking the Lord for one specific category, which is his safety and security. Verse 9, the prophet says to him, hey, this is a a reminder. This is how it works with God. And I'm going to argue this is immutable. This is the way it is today, not just in that day. Verse 9, for the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the whole earth, So he's watching and he's searching that he may strongly support God, strongly supporting those whose heart is completely his. A completely his heart is a magnet for the attention of God. It's like a searchlight just searching all over the world, the eyes of God roaming, looking, seeking, searching, watching, and desiring someone whose heart is completely his. And a completely his heart is the beneficiary of the strength and support of God. The effect of that in the life of Asa is peace and prosperity. Abundance and undisturbed, no disturbance. So the question we ask is, what are the ingredients for a completely his heart? And I gave you two last week in the life of Asa. Number one, ruthlessly removing competitors to God. Rivals, idols, the places, the paraphernalia, and even the people that promote idols. Because we saw in chapter 15, even took his grandmother out of her position and pulverized and demolished her rivals to God. It didn't matter who she was. Presumably, he cared for her. And it didn't matter what it was she meant to him, the position she enjoyed, he removed it. So I called it ruthless removal. You can't allow rivals to God anywhere and enjoy the blessing of God. And there's not a human being who follows Christ who doesn't have... Seasons or situations where you harbor things that you shouldn't harbor. You justify things you shouldn't justify. You allow other priorities to supersede the obvious, or we may not know it, it's hidden. But the hidden idol, the hidden rival, the hidden competitor, the thing you seek, for the security and the blessing and fertility gods or goddesses was what they were worshiping. We want the harvest to be big. We want the rains to come. We don't want drought. We want a big crop. We want to be fertile, and we want our women to have babies because that strengthens our people. And we're going to trust the Asherim to do that, the pagan gods, the wooden gods, Pillars that have no power, no ears, no heart, no capacity. Listen, whatever it is you're substituting for God has no capacity to supply the passions and satisfactions of your heart. There is life and only life in the person of Jesus Christ and in the God of heaven. So everything else ruthlessly has to go. And what God is saying, I'm looking for that person who's removing the idols. And I'm looking for the person who is desperately dependent on me, which is the second thing that we talked about last week, because what you have in verse 11 is an example of a completely his heart because it desperately depends on God alone, completely trusting. Verse 11, Asa called to the Lord, chapter 14, called to the Lord his God, Yahweh, And said, Lord, there is no one besides Thee to help us in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help us. O Lord, our God, we trust in Thee. And in Your name, we have come against this multitude, O Yahweh. You are our God. Let not man prevail against Thee. Contextually, you have a million-man army against the 580,000 valiant men under King Asa's leadership. So there's more of them than us, and my assessment of that says Asa is, it's as if we have nobody. And our absolute dependence is on God, not the 580,000. And the consequence of that, verse 12, so Yahweh routed the Ethiopians. So the... Bombastic, overwhelming victory was the product of the work of God because of the trust of the man of God. Depending and completely trusting will enable you as a completely his heart person to enjoy victory at levels you couldn't otherwise enjoy it. And some of you and some of us, we struggle with repetitive patterns where we have no victory. And the truth is, you can't do it on your own. You need to have God do what only God can do to liberate and rout the assaulting enemies and the depravity challenges that exist in your life. So a completely his heart gets the benefit because of its desperate dependence, its security is in God it's trust is in God, you get the benefit of the power of God. So if you leverage my own assets, I'll buy my way out of this. I'll manipulate, I'll strategize in order to obtain what God is willing to do and, frankly, what God has to do. Without me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. I don't know about you, but nothing is nothing. Nothing is zero. You can't do anything at home. You can't do anything with your kids. You can't do anything at work. You can't do anything with the issues of the heart, dealing with sin issues, patterns of depravity. You can't do anything without me. But desperately dependent upon me, there is unleashed on your behalf a capacity that is supernatural. And I'm going to strongly support the person. There's my promise. I'm looking. For the completely His heart, who's ruthlessly removing and desperately depending. And what you can count on is an unrivaled expression of the capacity of God for the glory of God, which results in peace and prosperity. Now, third thing, notice what it says in verse 4 of chapter 14. And this is the highlight for today. This is the half hour, half remaining is going to be focused right here. Verse 4, this is what he did as a God seeker. He ruthlessly removed the rivals. And verse 4, he commanded Judah, which is a conviction and a leadership decision, to seek the Lord God of their fathers. Seek is to pursue. The word seek, darash, has to do with seeking for relationship. It has to do with seeking for direction. So it's a connection and a direction for provision. I'm seeking God proactively. It's not passive. He commanded that the people of God, Judah, seek Yahweh, the God of their fathers. Now watch this. And this is an expression of seeking. This is an expression of a completely His heart to observe the law and the commandment, to know the truth and to do the truth. The word observe means you get it, you know it, and then you do it. This is what a God seeker does. This is what a peace enjoyer does. Does. This is what a builder, productive, prosperity person does. They not only ruthlessly remove idols, they not only display desperate dependence, complete trust in God alone, they are practically obeying and courageously acting on the words that God has prescribed in His Word through His Prophets. He's a God-seeker, and he commands everybody to be God-seekers. Look over at chapter 15, when the man of God speaks to the king, verse 1, Now the Spirit of God came on Azariah. And by the way, Azariah's name is a combination, which means my helper is God. So Azariah shows up after God has helped, and now the helper, God, is a man named, God is my help. And he's going to say on behalf of God and the Spirit of God, a message, a bottom-line message as an encouragement, and I I think it's it's a galvanizing truth, prosperity for safety. Verse 2, and he went out, Azariah, the son of Odin, verse 2, he went out to meet Asa. And this is what he said to him. Listen to me. Pay attention to this. And all Judah and Benjamin. So this is not just for Asa. This is all the covenant people of God in Judah and in Benjamin. The Lord is, here's a bottom line, the Lord is with you when you are with him. And if you seek him, he will let you find him. Sobering statement, but adversative. On the other hand, if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Now look at verse 3. And for many days Israel was without the true God, without a teaching priest, and without the law. Verse 4. And in their distress, they turned to the Lord of God of Israel, and they sought him, and he let them out. Find him, and in those days, verse five, those times there was no peace to him who went out or to him who came in, for many disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the lands. The nation was, and nation was crushed by nation, city by city, for God troubled them in every kind of distress. Now, look at verse seven. But you, prophet to Asa, you be strong. And do not lose courage, for there is reward for your work. Now, don't miss what the prophet of God, God helps, is saying so that the man of God and the people of God can get help from God. You seek him, you'll find him. When you're with him relationally, aligned with him, he's with you. And the reason there's been no peace is there's been no prophet. There's been no priest. There's been no God leader, and the leadership is absent for the word of God. There is no, what it says, verse 3, there's no priest, and we have no law. We don't have the scriptures and the commandments. We have nobody to promote it, to teach it, or catalyze, encourage it. And the absence of the words of God deny the potential blessing of God. There's disturbance. There's war. You can't go out. You can't come in. But Asa, this is what you need to hear. You keep seeking God so you can enjoy the bounty of God and make sure you not only get the word of God, but you courageously apply that word which is why he hears the words in verse 7, you be strong, don't lose courage, for there's reward for your work. And the way I take that is, as you get the words of God, you do the words of God, and you courageously live in a way that honors God as prescribed by His word. So here's the big idea, bottom line today in our focus. A completely His heart, is I'm going to get the Bible and I'm going to apply the Bible. And I'm going to be strong in the Lord and I'm going to courageously live it and do it even if there's much resistance to it. Because listen, in the world you're living in, it's not easy to apply the Scriptures, to be the odd person out, young or old, male or female. You've got conviction of the law and the commandments. You strongly and courageously apply what you know And what you can expect from me is blessing from me. Number one, Ruth, two, desperately depending on him, not your own assets. And number three, practically obeying, courageously applying. Now, turn over to Psalm 1. And I want to give you a pathway to walk. If there's a hobby horse I have, this may be it. Johnny started this train of thought a couple of weeks ago when he talked about a mind stayed on him, is a mind that meditates on him. I want to give you a meditating path. First of all, meditating promise that'll help you know the truth and help you do the truth. Because the Bible is not just data to know and repeat. God said to Joshua, through the captain of the Lord's host, he said to Joshua, this book of the law, my word shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you, you may observe to do all that is written therein. And then they'll be prosperous. Then you'll have good success, Joshua 1.8. Josh, Psalm 1 is a promise like that. Peace and prosperity, productivity is the product of knowing the truth and doing the truth. Daily meditating and courageously acting. Here we go. You know this psalm. I'm going to highlight some things, and then I want to give you a path to walk. Verse 1, the opening song of the Psalter. How blessed. How blessed means big blessing. How blessed is the man, interpreted any human being, male or female, but the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, he doesn't get advice there, nor stand in the path of sinners, He doesn't have associations with the lawbreakers, that's what sinner is, nor sit in the seat of the scoffers. He doesn't progress to being an anti-God person, but, verse 2, his influence is not the wicked, that's restless, sinners, that's lawbreakers, or scoffers, skeptics, verse 2, but his delight Is in the law of the Lord. Delight is what brings him pleasure, what he enjoys pursuing and doing. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Consequence, verse 3 he will be like a tree. Firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. Now watch the end of three. And in whatever he does, he what? He prospers. It's an Aramaic root, which means to press through. Whatever he's aiming at, as informed by the words of God that are the meditation of his life, it's his delight. It's not just morning devotions. It's not just evening encounters. It's day and night. Your word is my meditation. And as a consequence of that meditation, whatever I do as influenced by that, not the wicked, not the sinners, not the scoffers, not who I go to school with or who I work with, not the religious, but not the righteous, the word of God is my governing, calibrating compass. And when I walk the path of life, I enjoy blessing and benefit prosperity. That's the promise. And the promise includes, verse 3, that you'll be like a tree. That's stability in the storm, firmly planted. I'm not blown around like the wicked are, verse 4. The wicked are not so. They're like chaff which the wind drives away, here, there, and everywhere. A tree is firmly planted. Anybody ever run into a tree? Who won? (laughs) Trees typically win. Trees are firm, strong, and you need to get the idea of stable, firmly planted. So you're, you're not vacillating. You're not here, there, and everywhere as a consequence of what? Deeply rooted in the word of truth, truth that you meditate on. Not just sermons you hear in places like this but the Scripture that you meditate on that strengthens you in addition to this. Notice what it says, verse 3, planted by streams of water. That's vitality. We live in California. The sprinkler's not working in a certain section of the yard. What happens to the yard? It dies in life. There's vitality. You want to have vitality in life? Like you're planted by the nutrients and the refreshing spring? Meditate. Thirdly, you yield fruit in its season. So it's stable in the storms, vital in life, fruit in season. Yields its fruit in its season. Listen, I'm not a botanist or somebody who studies plants. I just know this. In order for something to produce fruit, it has to have more nutrition than it needs to survive. Fruit bearing is the product of excess I have more, not only to sustain me, my leaf will stay green, that's a sustaining space, but I have fruit-bearing potential, so not only am I vital and alive, I've got nutrition to share. I'm a Christian with assets that I can give. My life is fruitful because the Word of God is the source of it. There's two different words that you'll run into in the Bible as it relates to meditation. The first one is extended contemplation. It means to think hard and think deep. Somebody studied this. I haven't, but thinking at this level burns calories, so there can be a twin benefit. You're really thinking hard. The second word is to utter or to speak. The idea here is you're talking to yourself, and it's not because you've lost your mind. You're talking to yourself because talking, utter speaking, facilitates thinking. Some of us are verbal processors. This is the verbal processing benefit that allows you to think more clearly. You can liken it to like a game of chess or a game of strategy where you're sitting there, you're looking at the board, and you're thinking, and, there, and also talking to yourself, saying, if I move that pawn there, he'll do this. And You don't say that out loud because you're competing, but you're thinking and talking. And you're inwardly communicating, uttering, speaking to yourself in order to facilitate thinking that allows you to know what to do. Next move. Meditate means I talk to myself with the truth I'm reflecting on. Meditation means I burn calories. I'm intentionally turning it over, which leads me to the third word I want you to hear, which is the word ruminate. Ruminate is a synonym of meditate. Ruminate comes from a category of animals that have four chambers in their stomach. The first chamber is called the rumen, which is where we get ruminate. Cows are four-chambered animals, mammals. I grew up in southern New Jersey, farm country, rural New Jersey, not Metroplex, New York, or Philadelphia. It wasn't far from Philadelphia, but I'm in a county that was dominated by farmland. Cows, Jersey cows, milking cows. And across the street from my growing up home were a number of cows who grazed every day. And I would stand at the uh, spot where the bus would pick me up to take me to school, and the cows would be grazing. And I had no significant powers of observation, but I did notice this they would munch and they would swallow. They would just and swallow. No chewing. But later on in the day, they would cough up what they had, the raw material. I'm getting you ready for lunch. (laughs) They would cough up the raw material, and they would do what? Chew the cud. Chewing the cud is pulverizing and, and, and eating in a way that extracts the most value from the nutrients, the raw material that you had taken in. Munch and swallow. You know, sometimes people ask you a question, and you say, Let me do what? Chew on it. About it. Ruminate is meditate. You take in raw material, and then, like those cows, throughout the day, you cough it up and you chew on it. Meditation is not memorization, meditation is taking what you take in. Memorize, coughing it up and chewing on it and extracting maximum benefit from the nutrients you've taken in the raw material. So, let me give you a pathway. I'm going to give you some steps. Now, you're not going to do this. Most of you will not do this. So, but I'm going to tell you anyway. And I'm going to hope that reverse psychology will help you today. (laughs) I teach a lot of groups. I teach seminary students, I have a staff at Masters, my team, some of them are here, can testify to the fact that I'm a broken record on this particular subject. And what I have come to believe is very few Christians will do what Psalm 1 says to do in order to enjoy what Psalm 1 promises. They just don't do it. I tell my seminary class, there's like 40 of you in here, I'm counting on three of you. Because for whatever reason, there's a mental block when it comes to this priority. And I'm telling you, you can't enjoy peace and prosperity without a process that allows you to know the words of God and then do them, to extract the benefit of the supernatural word of God, which does work, but it needs to be internalized, not just heard. So I'm going to give you a process that I hope will help you in order to practice what I'm going to call day and night meditating. The process begins at night. The process begins as you pillow your head. So the very first step, I call it preparation, preparation for the next day, and it's on your bed, you read a passage find a verse and, and, and rehearse it. You Take five minutes. You put that verse in your mind, and you turn it over in your mind so that you're getting acclimated to it, and your goal is to have it on your mind when you go to sleep. Psalm 16, verse 7. Listen to this verse. My mind, David said, instructs me in the night. My mind's working at night. There's a uh, cardiologist at Harvard. His name is Herbert Benson. Herbert Benson is a specialist, not just in cardiology, but the subconscious. And what he has studied and science tells us, and I'm reluctant to even use the word science in the culture that we're in, but this is like legitimate science, you know, where they actually do experiments and they look at hypotheses and they test the hypotheses against data. I'm talking about that science. The old science. The one where you you had to prove it or it wasn't true. Are you with me? Herbert Benson did some true science. And what they have learned is the last conscious thought on your mind when you go to sleep goes to your subconscious. So if you're worried about a test or you're worried about paying bills, if you're worried about your kids, you're handing off to your subconscious something that's going to tire you, not refresh you. That's why you wake up sometimes more tired than when you went to sleep. That's why if you watch a movie or some show before you go to bed, you'll dream some strange things because you're handing off the last thing to your subconscious. Subconscious. The idea is the last thing that you have on your mind is the truth of God that your mind is going to meditate on, think about while you're sleeping. Look over at Proverbs chapter 6. I just want to punctuate the probability of this even biblically. Proverbs chapter 6. Law of God, transfer, Deuteronomy 6. Parents are supposed to teach their children the ways of God. So it's the commandment of the father, the teaching of the mother, but the content is the word of God and the ways of God. Bind those, keep them continually on your heart, tie them around your neck. I take this to be the truth that's constantly in front of you, it's day long. Constantly reminded of the truths you've received from your parents, the law of God. Now look at verse 22, the consequence. When you walk about, they will guide you. That's direction. When you sleep, do you see that? They will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk to you. Some of you struggle with night terrors and you dream things, you get assaulted at night. Here's a solution to that. Put the word of God on your mind at night. Protection. The word of God works. So I like to encourage you, the last word is his word. Jim Downing, who was an executive with the Navigators many years ago, wrote a book on meditation, and it was early on in my spiritual journey. I read that book, and he had a practice. He called it his word, God's word, the last word. So he'd sign off with his wife, honey, I love you. Hope you have a good night's rest. They'd pray together, and then they'd stop talking. And the stop talking was to allow him to reflect on the truth that he was meditating on, his word, God's word, the last word. Take five minutes, find a verse of Scripture, New Testament by your bed, Bible by your bed. I don't recommend the phone because it's distracting. You know, you get the notifications and you're off somewhere else. Do you still read like print like this? (laughs) Get one of these. And if you don't have one, I'll find a way to get you one. You open your Bible, you can read a psalm. You can do it subjectively, which is sometimes how I do it. I was in Psalm 141 the other day with Karen. We do porch time together, and one of the verses stood out to me, and one of those verses sounded like this. May my prayer be established as incense before you, and the lifting of my hands as the evening offering. Now, what got my attention was incense smells good. It was a tabernacle fragrance that sat on the table in order to create a fragrance symbolic of the prayers of God's people. And David is saying, I want as an established pattern in my life that the first thing in the morning, I offer you incense by my prayer. My prayer might be established as incense before you. It'll be a worship offering. First thing in the morning. Smells good, which makes God feel good. I want you to hear from me first thing. And then at night, I want the lifting of my hands to be like the evening offering. Lifting of hands is a praise expression in the Old Testament. I'm worshiping you. So you've got to become a charismatic if you're going to apply this Psalm 141 2. You're going to say at night, I'm going to lift my hands in praise to you. Obviously, I don't have to lift my hands to praise God any more than I have to kneel to pray to God. But sometimes the way your body works, it facilitates the way your heart works. So David is saying, and the psalmist is saying, by memorizing and by worshiping, by thinking and preparing, the word of God can begin its work. So the first step is preparation, and here's my word. Sleep on it. His word, the last word. Just do it. Take a Bible verse, my, my case, it was subjective. Or if you're having a struggle, man, anxiety's killing me. I, I'm just depressed, I'm discouraged, I'm anxious. Well, then find verses that address that need and start your evening, your your, your nighttime process. Before you go to sleep with verses, hey, listen, I'm going to be anxious for nothing. I'm going to cast all my cares upon him for I know he cares for me. He's a rock. He's a refuge. He's a high tower. Hey, I'm struggling with purity of heart and mind. I'm struggling with anger. Find verses that apply to that issue. Put it in your head and let the word of God do its work. Preparation. Sleep on it. Step number two, back to the psalm. Psalm 1 has the idea of day and night meditation. First thing in the morning, this is memorization. That's the second step. Learn it. Now, in my life, I have these little cards. You can get them from Amazon. I I suggest the heavier duty ones so they hold up. But you have a little card. You put the verse on it. First thing in the morning, going to write it out. I'm going to stick it on my sink. I'm going to try to get enough in my head so that when I shower and shave and get ready, or whatever your routine is, you're working on this verse. The goal is to get it before I leave the preparation for the day, getting myself presentable. little card, the words on it. Step number two, learn it. The word of God needs to be hidden in your heart. Your word word I have stored in my heart. There's a number of verses that have to do with memorization. You treasure it. You learn it. You depend on it. That way it's the raw material. You're coughing it up because you have it. I don't always memorize. I don't always get it right, which is why I'm going to carry my card. But this sits by my sink. Third thing you're going to do, evaluation. You got preparation, sleep on it. Memorization, learn it. Three, evaluate it. Study it. Circle the keyword and practice. Establish means it's a way I'm gonna do it. It's a habit. It's, it's regular. I'm establishing it as a pattern. Incense, smells good. I already talked about that. Before you, it's an act of worship. Lifting of my hands is a worship act. It's in the evening offering. That was a sacrifice. So evaluate the verse. Get the key words. Define them. Um, he who walks in his uprightness fears the Lord. Uprightness, this is, that's Proverbs 14, verse 2. That was just a few weeks ago. He who walks in uprightness fears the Lord. He has high regard for God. So you'd circle the word fear, and you go, what does that mean? Am I afraid of him? Do I shake when he comes around? Do I feel like I have to perform? Well, no. You have high regard for him, and you act accordingly. And the way you act accordingly is you walk in your uprightness. You notice the word your? Your uprightness. It's personal. It's not the church's uprightness. It's your personal integrity, and it brings honor to God. But he who walks crooked, which means he departs from the path of uprightness, despises God. So you'd circle the word despise. What does that mean? Here, let me give you this definition. It means you treat him as if he's worthless. It's used of Esau and his birthright. He despised his birthright because he didn't value it. He said, yeah, I'll take the red stuff. I'm really hungry. I'll trade what's valuable for a little food. He despises it. So you assess the words, and you write on your little card the definition of those words. The fourth thing you do, number four, is personalization. You read the verse with your name in it. God, may you regard Harry's prayers as sweet incense to you. When I raise my hands and worship at night, please receive that as an act of worship. That's personalized. Put your name in it. I encourage you at lunch to pray your name in the verse you're working on. So if you're eating lunch with me, you ask me to pray, Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to worship you Thank you for the opportunity we have to seek you like this. May you receive it as incense. May it please you today. And God, nourish our body with this food. Make our fellowship sweet so that at the end of the day, we can elevate our heart and hands and worship to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So you're going, what in the world was he praying? What he was praying is a personalized version of the truth that I'm coughing up and chewing on. Number five. So after you get through the personalization, number five is imagination. Right, you get this from Benson, too. Okay, So there's a, there's a reality that if you visualize something, you draw it, or you imagine it, you'll remember it. It's like if you're trying to remember my name, Harry Wall, somebody, sometimes a wall full of hair. So you just imagine that. <laughs> You're never going to forget my name. <laughs> got this mental image, and you can't shake it, all right? So what you're trying to do in the afternoon coffee break, I draw. So here's my picture. I'm lifting my holy hands at my bed. All right, my hands are big. It's not, I'm not an artist. But this very transaction is a way of thinking about the truth I'm meditating on. Number six, communication. Communication is at dinner time, you share it. Because when you talk about something, you're learning, you're imprinting it just like drawing it. So, teaching today, Harry talking, I've studied, I've prepared, but I'm learning it even as I share it. So share it. Dinner time, family. Hey, can I tell you what I've been thinking about today? This is not a devotional. It's not the food's going to get cold or the food's been started, and I just want to share with you what God's teaching me today. You know what? He really benefits and enjoys when I pray first thing in the morning, just like when they light the incense. And he sees it as an act of worship worthy of him when I worship him. I want to be more faithful to do that. That you share with your family, your friends, whoever. Short, talk it, share it, you're imprinting it. Finally, seventh step, application. Application. Because your meditation is defective if your life doesn't change. That you may observe to do all that is written therein. So what is the application? Now, I haven't written any on the back of my card yet, but typically that's where I'll write, this is what's going to happen because this is true. This is how my life will change. Now, I have been practicing this. I didn't grow up a charismatic. They did lift hands at the church I attended as a young boy. They said amen a lot. But this is not natural to me. And you'll probably never see me do it unless you're late at night at my home. It's not illegal. It is blatantly biblical. But I want to practice what it is I'm learning as an act of worship. This can turn into just another religious expression. Or it can be God, you're the greatest and the best, and you're worthy of my worship. And I care on God. What's that look like? How does that work? When am I going to do that? Application. Now, Cornerstone, did I tell you most of you will not do this? I don't know why. You want to prosper, you want to be successful, you want to be vital, fruitful, you want to be stable. You want to enjoy peace and prosperity. Asa said, observe the commandment of the Lord so you can do it, not just know it. Try it. 21 days it takes to establish a rhythm. 60 days it takes to establish a life habit. Do 21 and see what happens. You don't have to use my little card. I'm just giving you a method. But you need a method in order to be successful. All right, can you say amen? Amen. Father, thank you for the opportunity to think again about the priorities and the pursuits that make up a completely his heart. And, Lord, it's our desire to please you, not just because of what we know, but because of what we do. Help us to be fruitful. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be thoughtful. And help us to live in a way that honors you for your glory and the blessing that we desire from you peace, and prosperity, abundance in the absence of disturbance. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.